Section 7 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 19. The Rocks, Wednesday, September the 16th, 1671. I am wicked today, my child. I am just in the same humour as when you used to say, you are wicked. I am very dull and spiritless. I have not heard from you. Warm affections are never tranquil. A maxim. It rains. We are quite alone. In short, I wish you a pleasanter day than I am likely to have. What greatly perplexes the Abbe La Mousse and the rest of my party is that there is no remedy for the evil. I want it to be Friday, that I may have a letter from you, and it is but Wednesday. This puzzles them. They do not know what to do for me in this case, for if, in the excess of their friendship, they were to assure me it was Friday, that would be still worse. For if I had not had a letter from you then, I should be lost to all reason. I am obliged to have patience. Though patience, you know, is a virtue that I am not much in the habit of practising. But I shall be easy before three days have passed. I am very anxious to know how you are after your alarm. These alarms are my aversion. For though I am not with child myself, they make me become so. That is, they put me in a condition that entirely destroys my health. However, my uneasiness does not at present reach so far, for I am persuaded you have been prudent enough to keep your bed, and that you will have set all matters right again. Do not tell me that you will not let me know anything about your health. That would make me desperate. And having no longer any confidence in what you say, I should be always in the way I am at present. We are, it must be owned, at a fine distance from each other. And if either of us had anything upon the mind that required immediate relief, we should have plenty of time to hang ourselves in. I thought it necessary yesterday to take a small dose of morality, and I found myself a great deal the better for it, and still more so for a little criticism on the Berenice of Racine, which I thought very diverting and ingenious. It is by the author of The Silks, Gnomes and Salamanders, footnote, the Abbe Villa, author of the Count de Gabalis, back to main text. There are a few words which are not quite so good as they should be, and even unbecoming in a man who knows the world, these grate the ear. But as they occur only here and there, they ought not to prejudice us against the whole, which I assure you upon examination I found a very well-written critique. As I fancied this trifle would have diverted you, I heartily wished for you by my side in the closet, 
provided you could return again to your magnificent castle as soon as you had read it, and yet I own I should have felt some pain in letting you go so soon. I know too well what the last parting cost me. It would partake of the humour I have just been complaining of. I cannot think of it even now without shuddering, but you are safe from this inconvenience. I hope this letter will find you cheerful. If so, I beg you will burn it directly, for it would be very extraordinary if it should be agreeable to you, considering the horrid humour I write it in. It is very happy for the coadjutor that I do not answer his letter today. I have a great inclination to ask you a thousand questions by way of finishing this performance worthily. Have you many grapes? You tell me only of figs. Is the weather very hot? You do not say a word about it. Have you such charming cattle as we have at Paris? Has your aunt d'Arcourt been with you long? You see that, having lost so many of your letters, I'm quite ignorant how matters stand, and have entirely lost the thread of your discourse. Oh, how I long to beat somebody, and how much I should be obliged to any Breton that would come and say something very silly to put me in a passion. You told me the other day that you were glad I was returned to my solitude, that I might think of you. Very pretty, that. As if I did not think sufficiently of you in every other place. Farewell, my dear. This is the best part of my letter. I finish because I think I talk foolishly, and I must preserve my credit. Letter 20, The Rocks, Wednesday, September the 30th, 1671. I believe the Leonic opinion is now the most ascertained. He understands the subject completely, can tell whether matter reasons or not, what kind of intelligence God has given to the brute creation, with other subjects that occupied his thoughts. You may perceive by this that I suppose him in heaven. Oh, que spero! Footnote. Oh, how I wish it! Back to main text. He died on Monday morning. I was then at Vitre and saw him. But I wish I had not seen him. His brother seems inconsolable. I invited him to my woods, that he might weep at liberty, but he told me he was too deeply afflicted to seek consolation. The poor bishop was only five and thirty years of age. He was well provided for, and had an admirable taste for science. This was in fact the cause of his death, as it was of Pascal's. He wore himself out with study. You are not much interested in this detail, but it is the news of the place, and you must therefore bear with it. 
Death, in my opinion, is the concern of everyone, and its consequences strike home to our bosoms. I read Monsieur Nicole with the degree of pleasure that lifts me above the earth. I am particularly charmed with his third treatise on the means of preserving peace and harmony among mankind. Read it, I beseech you, and with attention. You will see how clearly he develops the intricacies of the human heart in which every sect alike is included. Philosophers, Jansenists, Molinists, in short, all mankind. This may truly be called searching to the bottom of the heart with the lantern. He discovers to us sensations that we feel daily, but which we have neither the wit to comprehend nor the sincerity to acknowledge. In a word, I never read anything like it except Pascal. Were it not for the amusement of our books, we should be moped to death for want of employment. It rains incessantly. I need say no more to make you conceive how dull our situation is, but you, who enjoy a sunshine which is so much the object of my envy, how do I pity you to be torn from Grignon while the weather is delightful in the middle of autumn and from an agreeable society and all this to be shut up in a dirty little town? I cannot bear the idea. Could not Monsieur de Grignon have put off the assembly a little longer? Is he not master in this respect? And poor Coulange, what will become of him? Our recluse mode of life has so turned our brains that we make matters of consequence of everything. Receiving and answering letters takes up some of our time indeed, but we always have enough left upon our hands. You make our abbe proud by the kind things you say of him in your letters. I am satisfied with him on your account. As for La Mousse, he catechises Sundays and holidays. He is resolved to go to heaven. I tell him it is only out of curiosity to see whether the sun is a heap of dust continually in motion or a globe of fire. The other day he assembled all the children of the village about him and was catechising them. But after several questions, they had so confounded things that when he asked them who the Blessed Virgin was, they all with one accord answered, The Creator of heaven and earth. His faith was not shaken by the children, but finding the men and women and even the old people all in the same story, he began to doubt, and at length joined in the opinion. In short, he did not know what he was about, and if I had not luckily come to his aid, he would never have got out of the scrape. This new opinion would certainly have been productive of more mischief than that of the motion of atoms. Farewell, my dear child. You see, we tickle ourselves in order to laugh. To so low an ebb are we reduced. Letter 21. The Rocks, Wednesday, October the 7th, 1671. 
You know I am always carried away by what I read, so that it is for the interest of those I converse with that I should read none but the best books. I can think of nothing at present but Monsieur Nicole's moral reflections. His treatise on the means of preserving peace among men delights me. I never met with anything so truly practical, yet so full of fire and imagination. If you have not yet read it, I beg you will. If you have read it, read it again, with additional attention. For my part, I think all mankind are included in it. I am persuaded it was made for me, and hope to profit by it. At least I shall endeavour to do so. You know, I could never bear the old saying, I am too old to mend. I could much sooner pardon the young for saying, I am too young. Youth is in itself so amiable, that were the soul as perfect as the body, we could not forbear adoring it. But when youth is past, it is then we ought to think of improvements and endeavour to supply the loss of personal charms by the graces and perfections of the mind. I have long made this the subject of meditation and am determined to work every day at my mind, my soul, my heart and my sentiments. I am full of this at present and therefore fill my letter with it having besides nothing of greater consequence to tell you. I suppose you are at Lombesque, but I cannot see you clearly from hence. There is a mist about my imagination that conceals you from my sight. I had formed an idea of Grignon. I saw your apartment, used to walk upon your terrace, and went to Massa to a beautiful church, but now I am quite at a loss. I wait with great impatience for intelligence from your new quarters. I will write no more today, though I have a great deal of time upon my hands, for I have nothing but trifles to tell you, which would be an affront to the lady lieutenant of a province who was holding the states and consequently has weighty affairs upon her hands. It may do well enough when you are in your little palace of Apollo. Our abbe and la mousse are very much yours, and I, my dear child, need I tell you what I am or what you are to me? Letter 22, The Rocks, Wednesday, November the 4th, 1671. Let us talk of Monsieur Nicole. It is a long time since we have said a word about him. There is a great deal of justice in your observation respecting the indifference he requires us to show to the opinion of the world. I think with you that philosophy will hardly be found sufficient of itself without the assistance of grace. He lays so great a stress on preserving peace and good fellowship with our neighbour and recommends so many things to us in order to attain this that it is next to an impossibility after this to be indifferent 
to what the world thinks of us. Guess what I am doing. I am beginning this treatise again. Methinks I could wish to swallow it like Ezekiel's roll. I am delighted with what he says on the subject of pride and self-love, which enter into all disputes under the feigned name of the love of truth. In short, this treatise will apply to more than one in the world, but I cannot help thinking that he had me principally in view when he wrote it. He says, Eloquence and a flow of words give a luster to thoughts. I greatly admired that expression. I thought it beautiful and new. The word luster is extremely apposite there. Do you not think so? We must read this book together at Grignon. I pass my time in having masses said for you every day and in a multitude of disagreeable thoughts, which can be of no service to you, but which, however, it is impossible to avoid. I have at present ten or twelve workmen in the air, raising the timbers of our chapel. They run backward and forward upon the outside of it like so many rats. They hold by nothing, and are every instant in danger of breaking their necks, and make my back ache with endeavouring to help them below. One cannot but admire the wonderful effects of providence in the desire of gain, and be thankful such people are created who are willing to do for a shilling what others would not do for a hundred thousand pounds. Oh, thrice happy they who plant cabbages, when they have one foot on the ground, the other is not far off. I have this from a very good author, footnote, Panurge during the storm, back to main text. We have planters, too, with us, who are forming new avenues. I hold the young trees myself while they set them in the ground, unless it rains so that there is no being abroad. But the weather almost drives me to despair and makes me wish for a sylph to transport me to Paris. Madame de Lafayette says that since you tell the story of Auger in so serious a manner, she is persuaded nothing can be more true, and that you are by no means jesting with me. She thought at first that it had been a joke of Coulange, and it looks very like it. If you write to him upon the subject, pray let it be in that style. End of section 7